This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Looking to get yourself a new rod? Oh man, Ninja Tackle's got you hooked up. They got the brand new seven foot three piece travel rod. Two different tips. It's actually four pieces, but it's got two different tips for different types of fishing. It's really a smart build, really compact does great i mean you can get all the regular to the seven foot one piece love that rod you guys hear me talk about it the go-to rod or if you need any of the ninja dagger series all the way out to size 12 great rods great prices seriously good product if you're a tackle shop and you're looking to get your hands on these reach out to ninja tackle they are looking to go into tackle shops so reach out to matt at ninja tackle v8.com and uh, you'll be able to get all that information thanks again ninja tackle appreciate everything you do New week, new episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, I have been following this individual for quite a while through my fishing adventures. Uh, when I first started getting into this, Blake Hunter was one of the guys I talked to. He's like, oh, you got to check out Dusty Hayes. Like, okay, well, I'll start tracking him on social media. And sure enough, lots of good knowledge. And then I got to go see him at a seminar uh, down there at 30A, learned a bunch, lots of good stuff. So Dusty has been dropping lots of knowledge online throughout his entire life that he's been on social media. Uh, and then we're really going to go into his whole story here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I hope y'all are ready. We got a lot of good knowledge coming your way. So strap in, get those notepads ready, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get it on. All right, Dusty, thanks for coming on, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it all day. Uh, I'm super excited. Same here. I'm very, very, very excited. And this has been uh, a long time coming for me to finally uh, work up enough to send you a message. So thanks for answering it. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, you, you've been at this a long time. And like I said on in the intro, you know, you, you've done a lot of good knowledge dropping in the Facebook groups. And, and you've always been approachable with questions and answers. So, dude, that's, that, that's really awesome of you. And I, I got to ask, what, what drove you to do that before we even get into the big podcast questions? Man, I... You know, and I'm sure I'll, I'll hit this again, but I just like people catching fish, you know, and, and everybody has their different way of doing that, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube or a seminar or talking to somebody in a tackle shop. But, you know, just sharing knowledge and, and not that my knowledge is better than anybody else, but when you have, you know, just personal experience and a personal opinion, um, there's no one way to do anything. There's there's a hundred ways to do everything. and you know, if you can share something to get somebody to the next step or put success, you know, in their hands, I mean, that's what, that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, you're not a fisherman, you're not a fisherman if you don't care about, you know, helping somebody else get to that goal. Um, and, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people do. And I feel like there's a lot of people don't want anything to do with. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what drives me is just, you know, helping people, uh, whether it's guiding or, which I don't do anymore or being in the tackle business, which I'm also not in anymore, but you know, just so many angles of it, uh, just helping somebody along, whether it be a hook recommendation or, or when to go or where to go kind of thing. And, you know, just getting somebody to that next step and, and helping them out. You know, you never know. It may be somebody that could probably figure it out on their own and, and didn't really need that help. Or it might be somebody that 
you could have just changed their life. You know, now you got them into whether it be surf fishing or, or anything, you know, you got them into that for the rest of their life. And, you know, and that's a passion that they're going to create. So, you know, without, with, with being, you know, you got to be somebody that's willing to share and, and help somebody. You don't have to spill every secret in the book, but, you know, just kind of give somebody that next step to, to move on with their career, you know, life and passion and such. And it's just kind of one of those things you got to do. Oh, most definitely. And I think it's great. You hit some great points there too of, you know, we should all be sharing our knowledge to try to help somebody and you never know, you could change their whole out life and outlook and life on fishing. So great advice just starting off. So let's, let's rewind the clock, man. Let's bring it way back. Let's start at the normal, uh, the opening of every show. So tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Yeah. So I've been, uh, man, I've been fishing for as long as I can remember, you know, and I think just like most people, um, I, you know, grew up kind of the first fish you catch is with a bobber and a worm and, you know, catching bluegill and catfish and bass in the pond and, and you progress from there. Um, I, I grew up in Georgia when I was little and then moved to Virginia for a year. And then, you know, about 10 years old, I'm living in, in Orange Beach, Alabama and, uh, and well, actually Gulf Shores first. And, you know, I was really lucky. I mean, you know, spend the time, on the beach, I mean, at a young age, I mean, before I could drive and lived at a condo on the beach. And so I would skip school. I would tell my mom, hey, I'm going to school. I'd throw my backpack in the stairwell, grab my surf rods, and off to the beach I went. <laughs> and uh, that was a good little run until the principal called and asked, like, hey, your son hadn't been at school in two weeks. Um, so, you know, it just all that stuff, man, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I, I like to hunt, uh, but I didn't have any family members that hunted. And I really didn't have any of that fish. And so, you know, I, I kind of something I really did on my own, and I'm not going to say I'm self-taught because nobody is, but I figured a lot of stuff out on my own. And then, you know, you run on the run into figures along the way that really help you out and get you where you need to be. And, you know, whether it be a captain at a marina or some guy you met at the store or a buddy of yours, and, you know, man, there's, there's countless people I can name off, but I remember, you know, being – a teenager, some of the first guys I talked to about Pompano was a guy named Joey that worked at Mo Fishing in Orange Beach. And uh, Joey did a lot of bill fishing and stuff. And, and I went into another tackle store. I'm not going to say who and where and when, but they had like, oh man, Pompano aren't biting right now. And I was like, okay. And this was like the first week of March. And I go into another tackle store and this guy Joey, he's like, man, you need a Pompano rig and you need, you know, some shrimp. And this was you know, a long time ago and uh, went out there and caught my first pompano, you know, and I was like, okay, well, this is awesome, you know, and it grew from there. And then, you know, I start bothering people like Chris Vecce at Sam's and uh, I kind of, I feel like I mirrored Chris for a long time. He worked at Top Gun Tackle on Orange Beach and uh, then moved to Sam's and I worked at Top Gun and then it swapped hands to Lost Bay and then I'll move to Sam's after that. And, you know, Chris taught me a ton from, you know, when I was in high school, I bought so much, so much stuff from him and he gave me so much information and he still does. Uh, and I'm, I'm really lucky to call him one of my best friends to this day. But, you know, that's just one of those things. Like I said, that's how I started. And it really just, just fishing. I mean, I fished on every dock. I fished in every pond. I got kicked up to so many golf courses and neighborhoods and, uh, you know, just people's docks. I mean, I would sneak out at midnight and fish every dock on Cotton Bayou in Orange Beach and you know I, I've got the cops called on me so many times but that's just that's what I want to do I worked at the golf courts and golf stores you know and after we get done watching golf carts I'd go fish the ponds on the on the you know whole course in the middle of the night so um 
just love to fish and it's not just just salt water it's not just surf fishing it's not just fly fishing it's, it's everything i mean it's like to catch fish i mean i keep an ultralight in my truck and if i see a, a body of water uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna fish it you know so it's just a it's a passion for sure yeah and you can hear it in every word you're saying too you can rip i mean i can feel it over here how much you love it and how much it's been a part of you so dude super cool i can only imagine the stories that you've got built up especially doing the ponds at night we, We've talked before, uh, well, today mostly, you kind of dropped a new little bit of information on me, uh, and I wanted to ask you about it. So what is uh, what type of fishing do you like to do? Man, I, I do everything. You know, like I, I, I can't say that there's one that's really a favorite over another. I do everything from, you know, fly fishing for freshwater trout to, you know, smallmouth bass or red-eye bass. Uh, do a lot of kayak fishing in the rivers for various black bass species, kayak fishing for, you know, saltwater species, redfish trout, you know, tarpon, uh, striper, et cetera. And, you know, and I, I'd say, and, and I know I told you this earlier, I, I just recently moved to Montgomery, Alabama. And so I'm, you know, two and a half, which are two hours, 45 minutes from the coast. Uh, and that's all my family and all, you know, majority of my friends are, are still there. So I go often. I was there this past weekend and I'll be there this weekend. Um, so I don't saltwater fish like I used to. And I definitely don't surf fish like I used to. I actually sold every piece of surf tackle I have, except for what I would say, you know, my fly fishing surf tackle. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I do it all. Uh, I, I just enjoy fishing, you know, uh, taking trips this year in august with a bunch of my best friends to everglade city for tarpon and snook and you know i'll be going to north uh you know tennessee and north alabama and such for smallmouth there in a few weeks and you know i fish uh, redfish and trout and strikers this past weekend i mean i i really enjoy it all there's not much that i don't care for um you know you go through phases where there's something that's really you're keyed in on and that's your main goal it's like hey i want to go do this or i want to go here i want to do that but you know, man, I just like to fish. I like being outdoors, I like being on the water. And it really, uh, when you share that with your friends and, and such, that's what makes it what it is, you know, is, is having a, a friend group that, you know, you go to these places and, and see these, you know, awesome scenery and catch these fish that you're, you've been after for a long time. And that's what makes it for me. Oh, for sure, man. Totally, totally get that. Well, you kind of nailed this a, a little bit here. So, uh, I'll, but I'll ask in a straight term, what's your favorite thing about fishing? Man, there's so many things. I mean, there's that yeah. success when you when you catch that fish that you've been after, you know, like when you you land that fish, like, man, I've been after this. I've been wanting this. I've been thinking about this for months and months and months. And, like, right now, I'm not going to lie, like, my big goal coming up this spring is in summer uh, when I do go to the beach, I want to spend more time on the beach with the fly rod. And, you know, it's, it's so if I catch, you know, pompano and such on the fly rod, that's a goal that, you know, I, I've probably – God knows how many confident in my life, but like to do it on the fly and use something that I've tied, that's, that's a check on the list for me. It's like, man, it'll hype me up. Um, I would say that. And then also, man, I'm a, I'm a tackle junkie. I'm a gear junkie. And so like, I enjoy collecting and hoarding, you know, whether it's conventional tackle rods, reels, flies, twitch baits, you know, hard baits, old bass, you know, bass fishing, crank baits and, you know, you name it, you know, just, just stuff from a long time ago to new stuff that just came out. I would say that's probably my favorite thing about fishing is the gear. I'll probably spend more time and money 
looking into gear and, and buying it and using it and such than I do actually fishing. Um, and that's changed dramatically. I've gotten older. I used to be, didn't care what I was using, what I was throwing. Uh, I just wanted to catch a fish. And as I've gotten older, I really appreciate having nicer things and not over the top stuff. There's a point where it's like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to do that for catching a fish, but stuff that's collectors or has a meaning, you know, certain reels that, are handmade and American made that, you know, somebody made and, and you might not be able to get here in five or six years, you know, and having something like that, that it's not going to be available. It's not a Shimano, whatever that you can go buy probably for the next hundred years. It's, it's something that, you know, you, you may not be able to, to get after said person passes away. And so stuff like that is what really means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know the fishing in a hole i mean that's that's the stuff i like about it that's i'm sitting in my office right now looking at all the stuff i have collected and really just in the past few years all the all the artwork and you know the, the collector's reels and you know flies that people have given me and and stuff like and lures people have given me and you know it's just that's that's what i love about it dude that's a lot of love right there i i didn't know you were a collector that's kind of cool i'm sure you've got some any piece in particular is your absolute favorite Oh, man, I didn't know I was a collector either, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it happens to us all. My fiance is giving me a ton of books um, and, you know, just so many. And I've had old charter customers send me books. I came in, I got had this for years. I don't need it. I don't want it. Um, I would say probably my, my most favorite thing that I have currently, I have some Dave Whitlock prints. And Dave Whitlock currently, you know, he passed away a few months ago, I want to say December or January, and he was a, a fly fishing, you know, legend. Um, I would say that, or I have a, a art piece. Uh, it's a shadow box that my fiance got me for Christmas, and it's a fly uh, that's tied into a smallmouth bass uh, that my buddy Brandon tied for me. Um, barely got it for me for Christmas, and man, that's it's something awesome. There's, it's a, I have to send you a picture of it. It's, it's a piece of art, uh, and I mean, it's just gorgeous to see somebody turn you know natural hair deer hair into a piece of art like that uh it's really cool it's sitting on my top shelf on my bookshelf so sounds i'm looking forward to that text that's pretty cool man i look forward to seeing that oh yeah so let's talk a funny one here so do you have a craziest or favorite catch story that one really stumps me there there's just so much cool stuff i've been a part of and, and i caught a big trout last mother's day on the beach uh, me and Chris were walking the beach one morning, and, um, you know, I've walked the beach a million times, you know, throwing hard baits for trout and stuff, and I've caught a good many trout, and I've just never caught that one. And last Mother's Day, I caught that one. Uh, it was a 28, a little over 28-inch fish, and, wow. and we measured it on the rod, and we gave it a, you know, we gave it a humble measurement. So it, it could have been, you know, a little more. And in, in Alabama, the the trout that you catch Gulf side versus Bay side are, uh, it's a totally different animal. The, the girth, the strength, I mean, just the overall weight of that fish and fight of that fish is night and day. I mean, you catch a, you know, 20 inch fish that's just absolutely stout on the Gulf side and you catch a 20 inch fish in the Bay that's just scrawny and lanky. And so those Gulf trout are just such a different animal. And I caught one that was 28 and some change. And, uh, you know, that was a super memorable catch. So finally, just get to that mark. I caught a bunch of 
25s and 26s and even 27s and, and a lot of those are stuff that my customers have caught over the years and I've tagged on at least for the CCA and such and and but you know I've had been on the rod end for one and but to catch one that big uh is really special and man there's just I, I could probably think of a hundred other things on top of that um and I'm not even a trout junkie but that one was just really cool but uh, there's just so many things from from Cobia on the beach to you know netting snook in in Alabama and and catching permit and bone fishing in Alabama and just man so many things uh, <laughs> that come to mind and just I couldn't even begin to even think of something. Okay, that still I mean you're right. There is a weird difference between the bays and uh, just trout and trout in general are very interesting little creatures and delicious and wonderful and beautiful, but very interesting. So let me ask you this then. Is there a fish that is on your bucket list to catch? As far as this absolute extreme craziness, I would like to go to Harvey Bay in Australia and, and fly fish for black marlin. Um, that would be – it's not that far out of reach. It just takes a lot of planning and, and you know, a little bit of money to do so. Uh, but I think in a more realistic sense, um, I would like – this year, anyways, my goal is to catch some snook. Um, I've, I've handled snook. I've seen snook caught. I've netted snook. I've never actually caught one myself. Um, so that's on the goal for this year or, you know, the biggest goal for this year. I'd like to do possibly some muskie fishing. Um, and I think, like I said, for now, that's probably my, my biggest, you know, up next. And then I would like to get a, a, a big tarpon on the fly, you know, not a caught plenty of juveniles, but I want to get a, sure enough big and on the fly so i think that's probably my next bucket list at the moment you know and then that and i if i had to add to that uh which i would say also probably be close to the top would be going up north uh you know wisconsin michigan somewhere in the midwest and fly fishing with you know there's a bunch of good guys up there tim landor and and uh schultz and those guys and you know fishing for big smallmouth on the fly you know catching a 20 inch that would be I think that would probably be something that would be, man, top of the list for me would be a, a 20 inch smallmouth on the fly. I have a feeling you're going to do that. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we're, I think it's just going to be a matter of when, not if. So that that's going to be a fun yeah, place to see. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something, you know, especially like I said, going up north to smallmouth fish. It's, it's like you said, it's not an if, it's a when. It's, it's something I try. I was going to try to plan a couple of times this year. I just, um, a lot of things going on. I got to go to a bunch of weddings and also have my own this year. And, uh, you know, already got a few travel places I'm going and a honeymoon to Hawaii and, you know, all that stuff. So I got a lot of trips I got to make this year. So that's probably going to be a, uh, 2024, uh, trip for sure. Well, the honeymoon in Hawaii doesn't sound horrible. So <laughs> that'll be nice, man. Congratulations again on getting engaged. And I, I didn't realize the wedding was this close. So yeah. Hope it's a great, it will be. I don't even have to hope. It'll be a great day and just, uh, it'll blow your mind how fast it goes by. I think that's the craziest part. (laughs) Yeah. I'm about to actually, well, March actually. Yeah. We're about to be in March. Uh, I'm about to celebrate our 14th anniversary. Uh, and it's, we were just talking about it like, wait, what year is this? How long have we been married? How long have we been together? (laughs) like there's no way it's been that fast it's just man it's just a blink of an eye it's hard to believe how quick it goes well uh you've already answered the other ones there so i'm going to move you into the fishing tips tricks and knowledge piece here but before we do that we're going to go have to knock 
knock out our bait check for the episode. It is your first bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now. That would be awesome. But if you haven't, bring that line in. Check that bait. Make sure it's good to go. If it didn't work out for you, you make sure you're changing zones. Maybe you need to be somewhere else. Or maybe you need to change a different bait style. Maybe you need to throw some shrimp, some crab knuckles on. Either way, get that back out there and get back to fishing. This bait check is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. I've said it a bunch of times. I don't know how to say this any better to you guys. It's a great foundation that's running out of Georgia right now. Hopefully national one day, Thomas. And they are doing great things for these camps for kids. They're running the chair, uh, the 501c3. Lots of great things that they're doing for these kids in the community. They're trying to help them, you know, get out there, get out and fish. We all know how difficult that can be nowadays. So head on over to kidscanfish.net. Take a look at all the cool things that they're doing. The, the sign up for the St. Simon Island running of the red bulls tournament will be opening soon so if it's something you're interested keep uh, keep your eyes peeled for that so thanks again kids can fish y'all are doing great things like you always say more tackle boxes less xboxes so you've been doing this so long with fishing this stuff is i know like just the blank of the eye second nature to you so one of the ones that i always ask everyone is how do you personally plan your fishing trips Going to assume we're talking about surf fishing uh, trips. Yeah. yeah, let's uh, let's stick with the okay. surf for this All one. Right. I, so, I could get you on the freshwater, but I haven't started the freshwater podcast because I still can't well, catch a freshwater fish. Yeah, well, I, and I'll, I figured that's what you meant. I just, you know, you say fishing trips, man. I just think of so many things. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, to be honest with you, my biggest piece of advice I always give so many people uh, was you're not going to catch them on the couch. You got to go. You're not going to catch them at home. If you're not going fishing, you're not going to catch fish. And and there's days where you go do that and you go fishing and you're like, well, I didn't catch a damn thing. Well, you know, there's also those days where you go and you went and you weren't planning on going and you absolutely mashed them. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the tide can be right. The moon can be right. The wind can be right. The bike can be right. And you go over there and you're not catching them and, you know, the guy next to you is, or you go out there and nobody's catching them. You don't know why. It should be game on, you know, but you you have to go to figure those things out. You can't rely on who's catching them on Facebook. You know, you got to realize that these guys posting videos on YouTube, sometimes they hold those videos for six, eight months before they post that. Um, or it might be two weeks. It might be four days. It might be two days. But, you know, you got to go to catch fish. Uh, I feel like Coming up now these days, so many people are so held back on, you know, when do I go? What should I be doing? What should I be throwing? And that's not just in the surf fishing world. That's everywhere. You know, you see all these Facebook groups that I'm a part of, people asking 100 questions. And, and it goes with, man, so many other things. Like you see guys on turkey hunting pages doing the same thing. Like, hey, what what gun do I need to use? All that stuff. Um, and I know that's irrelevant, but. Sometimes you got to step out on your own and just go. And, you know, you can take advice and, you know, you can go ask these people like, hey, what do I need to do or, or where should I be going and all that stuff? And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there's a point in time where you got to go. You got to go fishing. Um, you, you take your stuff out and you figure stuff out. And the best thing I can tell somebody if you want to start planning stuff, pay attention to when you go and when you catch fish and when you don't. You know, you're like, all right. And, and it could be as simple as the day of the week, a day of the month, to, or not the day of the week, but a day of the month, 
to the day of the year, you know, like I can tell you multiple dates uh, throughout the year that are just highlighted in my head that are just absolutely killer surf fishing dates. And it doesn't matter if it's raining and thunderstorming or if it's blue bird skies and flies flat palm, the palm in the body is unreal. And, and it's just because, you know, the, uh, to me, those fish are on a, you know, a timer and, and you know, they have it in their head. They know when they're going where. And, you know, obviously that changes everywhere where you're going, whether you're in Panama City or Gulf Shores or Fort Morgan, whatever. But if you don't go, you're not going to know. Um, now, that's easier said than done for most people. You know, some people got plenty of people got jobs. Um, you know, you may live an hour from the beach. You may live three hours from the beach. But to me, like, you know, I say most people that go surf fishing, and when I say most, I mean, obviously you got the people that you consider locals that go often. You know, that person is going to go enough to kind of figure things out. But if you're coming in town, say, spring break, once in the summer and then fall break, say three times a year for three, four days or a week, whatever you do, you know, the, the question shouldn't be, hey, what, when should I go fishing? It should be, you know, all right, if your family allows you and you can get away from your family, I know that sounds terrible, but, you know, if you find time to go fishing in that week that you're there, or most people go sit on the beach all week anyways, you need to be fishing because, you know, some of the best spots you'll get on Pompano are midday. If that, if that tide is coming in, it can be one o'clock in the afternoon and the bites is absolutely killer. Um, and you'll go out there the next day and it's absolutely terrible. So all I'm getting at is, you know, I plan stuff, you know, make sure I got all the gear I want. Um, sometimes I feel like the more I, I get my gear ready and tackle ready and all that stuff, or the more I let myself down, it seems like the times you just go and grab stuff and get out there is when you really do the best. But it, to me, in the big picture is, is you just got to go. Um, you know, there's so many times I, I'm so guilty of talking myself out of it. Like, oh, man, I, I you know, I'm not going to go. I don't feel like it. And, you know, I see people just catching the crap out of them. And then I had no reason not to go. I should have gone. I wanted to go, but I didn't. And then there's other times where you go and it's just not great. But if you don't go, you don't know. It's just that simple to me. I mean, you got to go fishing to catch fish. What about for spot selection? What do you do to choose a spot? Man, I, uh, so, you know, over the years, I kind of noticed where I caught what fish, in, in what time of year. So, you know, I look for various things as far as sandbar setups and stuff and, and proximity to deep water and, you know, proximity to structure, whether it be the jetties at the pass or, or the pass itself or, you know, reefs just offshore or deeper water just behind those sandbars or, you know, a fishing pier, uh, things like that, you know. And it, that's also like a very loaded question, you know, if you're talking about speckled trout, and redfish and flounder on artificial lures, you're looking for a little bit different thing than you would be pompano fishing. Um, the biggest thing to me is, is finding an area that you have depth between you and that first sandbar. Um, the beaches, you know, in, in say Gulf Shores are completely different from the beaches in Destin and, and, and so on. You know, that stuff completely changes. But, you know, those fish will come into shallow water. They're not opposed to it. But you got to find those areas where the structure changes. And by structure, you mean sandbars and such. But those current swirls and riptides and all that, that's what's going to wash that bait. And those fish, I feel like a lot of people get really obsessed with, and like I said, this completely depends on your area. Um, but a lot of people get really obsessed with trying to see how far you can get a bait out. I've caught 10 times more fish than I could ever imagine within 15 feet of the bank than I ever have chunking something a mile out. 
Um, you know, so it really just, man, I, I can't think there's any specific thing because you can catch a fish on any stretch of beach. I mean, there's fish on all of it. Some places are completely better than others, but there's fish on all of it. And the biggest thing is learning how to read it, look for that deeper water and fish it thoroughly. You know, so you have a, a trough that runs, you know, east to west. It's 100 yards wide and the current's running east to west. Well, those fish sometimes will be stacked up on the east side on the, you know, up current side. Sometimes they're on the down current side, you know, where all that bait's being washed to. Um, you know, and then also sometimes like when you have a trough like that, so you have like a horseshoe bend sandbar and, you know, you got a deep pocket in front of you. Well, you got to look at where those fish are trying to come in at. So if there's a little deep cut in that sandbar that allows access to that fish to come into that deep pocket, then that's where, you know, those fish are going to be coming in and out. You know, those fish will be in all throughout that, that whole little area, that deep area. But if you just figure out their little highway where they're coming in and out of, then you can really narrow down on where you need to be casting and your depth and your distance and all that. So I guess really the best way to answer that is it depends on your beach. It depends on, you know, your structure. It depends on, you know, the time of year. Um, there, there's a lot of information out these days on, you know, what to look for. There's a lot of the YouTube guys that have videos out, really break down the sandbars and such. But, you know, I, I would say, like I said, any beach will hold fish. I like to look for stuff that has less foot traffic of people in the water if it's the busier months and also less people fishing. Um, you know, something I've noticed over the years is you get certain beaches that just get absolutely pounded and, you know, they'll still produce fish, but not as good as other areas. And you really, 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 I think this is probably the most important part of all of it, is you have to get away from those pieces of, of structure that are fished every day. You can be, say, you know, let's just say you're at this beach, uh, Beach at 5th A, and it is the hot spot. It's always good fishing, right? Uh, all these people go out here all the time. All these people post pictures. All these people make videos out there, all that stuff. That's great. But if you go straight down the boardwalk and walk straight away, you know, then you're fishing where every other person is fishing, you know. And so usually what happens, whoever gets out there first is going to walk the least furthest. And then the next five people are going to spread out next to them and then so on and so on and so on to the point where a few hundred yards to your left, you got people and a few hundred yards to your right, you got people. Well, really, whether those people are there or not, I want to go past them as far as I can. As far as I want to walk, that's how far I want to go past those people because those fish are coming to that area for a reason, whether it's food or lack of pressure, whatever it may be. But if you're fishing those troughs that get fished every single day, then, you know, they get used to seeing those pompano rigs and fish bites and floats and all that stuff. And so without going super, you know, technical and, and you know, finesse and going down a really light leader, really small hooks, then you, you know, you can trick those few fish that are left and have seen there, been there, you know, seen it, been there, done that. Um, but if you are willing to walk, you know, and put in the time and the distance to go, man, say a half a mile down the beach, a half a mile sounds like a long ways but it's really not it sucks driving a beach cart that far but most people aren't going to go that far to fish somewhere that man honestly probably nobody really ever fishes maybe somebody here and there but the fishing pressure those fish those resident fish those whiting and little few red fish and whatever that's hanging out in that trough in that area that aren't seeing rigs all day long every day from sun up to sundown those fish will eat you know so and then then you know migratory species like the pompano that come in, in spring and fall or, and vice versa um 
you know, those fish, uh, to me, they get educated. And so, like I said, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. But I feel like just putting in your time and, and moving and going where people aren't, uh, this a popular beach is great if people are catching fish there and you see results. But to me, I don't care if I don't get fish or not, I want to be away from people. Yeah. So getting somewhere where you have that freedom just to kind of enjoy a hundred yards of beach to yourself and you can sit back and be like, man, this is gorgeous out here. And I have to worry about what this guy over here next to you is throwing over your other rods, but you know, and the guy over to your left is hooking a fish and going underneath your rod. Sometimes you got to get in the, in the middle of it to catch those fish. But if you are willing to put in that time and find those, there's, and there's not many spots left on the Gulf coast that are like that um, from Panama city to, to Fort Morgan, but we want to put in that time to, you know, really, weasel your way in there and, and put that distance and walk to where nobody else is, I mean, you'll see results. I mean, you can have the ugliest pompano rig known to man and some Walmart shrimp and get lucky. Um, you know, it's, it's that simple. It's, it's just finding the fish at the right time in the right place. If you're fishing stuff that gets pounded every day, all day, I mean, there are, no matter what beach you're on, there's, there's troughs and holes that, Man, unless it's just nasty surf, there's somebody fishing there with a rig in the water. And those fish get educated. You know, they see that crap all day long, and they're like, yeah, I'm not falling for that. You know, so um, that's where a major change in tackle comes into play. But I think uh, as far as picking a spot, I know I went off on a tangent there. but Only really a little. Just finding somewhere that, yeah. <laughs> it's all good, man. Really just finding somewhere where uh, where other people aren't fishing is going okay. to be your biggest key. Well, you mentioned something that I want to back up to it. You, you mentioned, depending on how you fish, and you mentioned trout and reds, you, you look for stump, something different. You're the first person to say that to me. Well, what are you looking at that's different? You know, when I'm walking the beach, throwing artificial lures, you know, twitch baits, jerk baits, topwaters for trout, redfish, the trough system that I'm looking for, and, and, you know, you'll find them outside of those troughs, but the stuff I'm looking for is completely different than what I'd be looking for for pompano. You'll see those trout and those rip currents, and they'll be in the same place a pompano would be. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times, like, you know, your flounder trout and redfish that are going to be surfside, um, you'll see them free swimming and stuff. So, you know, middle of nothing, no structure, no sandbar whatsoever. So that's, you know, not always the case. But what you really look for is, you know, that sandbar that's, you know, pretty much casting distance between where you're standing on the shoreline and, you know, your furthest cast with that with that lure. And then you have, you know, knee to waist deep water between you and that sandbar. And, you know, if there's current coming through there, I mean, it's just, it's just the textbook, you know, perfect scenario for catching those trout and redfish and stuff on, on hard baits. And it's, re- it's really hard to put it into words. If you have a visual, you can be like, all right, this is what you'd want to look for. This is really something you just kind of walk past. That shallower water that's, you know, two foot or less, early morning and late evening and nighttime, those fish will definitely be all up in that. But as you get into that, you know, the sun's been up for an hour or two uh, in the morning, you know, the stuff you kind of ease past and start looking for that deeper water stuff. But you want a little bit of depth, and by depth I mean something that's, you know, two plus feet really, uh, two to four feet, current moving, sea bait activity. You know, and you'll have trout mixed in with, with ladyfish and bluefish and Spanish as well, and, and also redfish too. But those areas that are just kind of like a little, it's almost like a little sanctuary, just right on the shoreline. The deeper cuts right on the bank where you can easily make a cast to. Um, and like I said, those, those rip tides, you know, rip currents pushing out, 
you'll have fish in that stuff too. Same as a pompano for the most part. Um, sometimes it's on a smaller scale, you know, a little closer to the shore. The the big difference on, you know, sometimes what you're looking for with pompano and trout, buck pompano get a little sketchy to get into that shallower water sometimes. Uh, simply because, and it varies on where you're at, but, you know, they are being preyed on by various birds and, and people and dolphins and such. And, and that don't mean the trout won't either, but uh, I feel like they're a little more, trout are a little more ballsy when it comes to hanging out in that shallow water. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, hell, all the ones I catch are within 15 feet, uh, but that's uh, when I'm doing other types of fishing. That's really cool. Uh, definitely worth something to look into some more. I mean, I've got it written down for me to start understanding that a little bit better. Um, we don't really get trout here, unfortunately, in the Navarre area. I will say that. I wish, I, w- I wish we did at the beach. That'd be wonderful. I'd be so happy, but I have to go into the back bay or i gotta go inshore a little bit there for that um you you already kind of jumped ahead and answered some great questions when it came to how to setting up the gear so i really only have one question uh, about the setting of gear because you just crushed it there and that's going to be what type of rigs do you use when you're doing you know lure uh, fishing like that now i know you mentioned that you you're throwing metal in that one we can ask we can answer that one too if you want but yeah let's talk about what kind of rigs you use i would say uh man I've always tied my own rigs. I mean, before, I don't want to sound like an old timer and say this and say like back in my day, but like, you know, let's just say 10 years ago, you know, Salty and Frisky Friends and, and all these people, like they didn't exist in the, in the surf fishing world. And, you know, you, you had like Sea Striker rigs and you had Eagle Claw, Pompano rig, and probably a few others that I could think of. Um, and, you know, working at tackle shops, you know, we sell, sold hand-tied rigs, Carolina rigs, the Red Snapper rigs to King Mackerel rigs for the pier, trolling rigs and trolling lures for billfish to, you know, all that. And so we had to tie on pompano rigs because, you know, you would sell a ton of Eagle Claw rigs, Sea Striker rigs, but you only order so many. And the cooler months, it gave the employees something to do and tie and, you know, you make bigger margins on selling that rig because you don't have, you're not paying X amount for it to resell it. You know, you're pretty much got just material in it to, to resell it. So um, I learned how to do that, you know, early on. And I started playing around with rigs myself. And now it's no secret now, but I found a, uh, found a website. It was walleyesupply.com. I mean, this was like probably 10 years ago. Had all kinds of every color float you could think of for walleye fishing, the the pill floats. And uh, man, I'd get pink and I'd get purple and I'd get black and you know polka dot and all that stuff and and tie my own rigs. And I, I like a double rig. And man, I you know we would joke around and get crazy and tie pompano rigs with six hooks on them just to be stupid. <laughs> um, I would say my favorite though is a single drop rig. I would do probably four foot a liter overall um really long leader i would have my first drop uh it'd be about a say about eight to ten inch drop and it would be about uh say a foot to 18 inches from your swivel and i'd have that going down to a hook uh hook would vary i'm a kale hook fan not a big circle hook fan i really don't like them there's times and places where circle hook absolutely rules the surf um, I like them like whiting fishing, you know, especially in the fall when they're just biting really fast. But pompano fishing, I'm a big time kill hook person. Um, every person's going to tell you something different, and that's fine. I don't think that a circle hook is bad. I just 
not going to use them. If I'm tying a pompano rig for myself, I'm putting a kale hook on there uh, all day, every day. No questions asked until they tell me otherwise that, that it's illegal. I'm putting a kale hook on there. Um, I used to use, man, I, I would use 20 pound mono for just about everything. And I also use 20 pound fluorocarbon. Um, this is something that's probably too in depth and most people probably wouldn't care about this, but Something I always used to think about, and I still do to this day when it comes to my pompano rigs. So monofilament is more dense in the water and it's going to float. Now it makes it visible as well. And a fluorocarbon is the opposite, less dense in the water, makes it invisible. But fluorocarbon sinks where monofilament will float. So that being said, on a pompano rig, like say you're throwing a topwater lure, you know, your topwater with fluorocarbon is going to want to dig down because that leader or whole line is fluorocarbon. So it's not going to have the same action versus a completely buoyant line that is monofilament that's going to completely float on the surface. So you transition that thought into a pompano rig. Well, you got your weight at the bottom anchoring yourself down and it's tethered tight to your rod tip, you know, at however many feet, yards you want to put it um, from your cast. And really the only weight stopping it is that swivel that's kind of bringing it down just a little bit. But if you keep it just hard enough for the heavy weight, it's going to suspend. But a fluorocarbon leader is going to want to fall and, and float against the bottom, which isn't a bad thing uh, at all. It's going to put your bait closer to the bottom. Even with a pill float on there and a hook and bait, it's still going to want to hug the bottom. Versus the monofilament leader is already buoyant, naturally buoyant. So when you put a pill float on there, it's going to want to pick it up a little bit. Um, which one's better or worse? Man, I can't tell you. Uh, I've, I've fished monofilament fluorocarbon side by side plenty of times, and fluorocarbon will do better than monofilament and vice versa. I've had monofilament rigs absolutely outfish and mash fluorocarbon rigs. Um, you know, 15 to 17 to 20 pound, you know, it's always been the same color or, you know, similar situations. I've tested it so much uh, to the point where there's so many times where it's been a night and day difference on one outfish and the other. Uh, but I can't say that one's better than the other, but I will say this, if, if nine times out of 10, I'm just going to use monofilament. Um, that water will get super clear. And especially if you're further East into like depths in the bar and all that stuff, I may look into more into fluorocarbon, but as far as Alabama surf goes, nine times out of 10, I'm going to use monofilament. I like that buoyancy. It has that stretch when you're using, you know, a pump and a rig, if you have a monofilament leader or monofilament pompano rig, um, it has stretch to it already. So that eliminates having to use a shock leader. A shock leader is something you put between your braid and your leader uh, or your rig uh, to give you a little bit of stretch. Uh, I used to not use shock leaders. Um, and I started to because I was realizing I was losing fish on hard runs and stuff, especially pompano that are wiry fish. But all in all, I mean, I've used a swivel, barrel swivel, you know, nothing big. You don't have to have a big swivel. Um, I'd use a longer one drop, go into a size two or a size four kale hook down to whatever size pyramid sinker needed for the surf. You know, I do for every foot of surf, we do an ounce of weight. It's kind of like a general rule of thumb. Obviously, if you have a east or west wind, you know, the current may be stronger than the waves are big. So, I would say a two ounce is probably my overall favorite for distance and doing what you need to do. Uh, two and three is what I use the most. And then, you know, for whiting fishing and such, fishing up close, I would do a similar thing, but I would mirror it and, and go down to a, you know, sometimes 10 to 12 pound monofilament and, and 15 at the most, um, a little bit smaller hook and, you know, small piece of shrimp or fish bites. 
and fish up close, but, you know, use a one ounce at max. But I'd say a one drop, you know, single drop, you know, dropper rig is, is kind of my all-time favorite. You know, just does everything. I've caught, you know, so many species on it from, you know, catfish and such all the way to pompano and redfish and juvenile cobia and permit and, you know, you name it. So yeah. I think that's the most versatile and, and such for just everything circle-wise. You're not the first one to tell me that, so I I, I believe in it. And you know, it, hell, you, you dropped a couple of monster bombs right there of knowledge. So uh, <laughs> I'm already like I've yeah. got notes already on that monofluoro kale. I, I normally use. I am a big fan of kales. Um, it just came about by accident, but I, I like them. I like the distance. Um, and then with the, circles, uh, owner. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. I was done. I was just going to say that uh, owner inshore slam kill hook. I wish they made it a size four, but the smallest they make it to size two. That was my all time favorite hook. It still is. Um, is when it comes to surf rigs because it's thin wire, it's super sharp, it doesn't rust out on you, and um, they don't really bend. They will at a point. I've bent a couple on like some really big fish, just couldn't stop. Uh, and especially like when you get, you know, the cow nose raised early spring when they start running the beach, oh, yeah. and start snagging them all the time. Uh, but as far as your pumping and all that, no issues out of them. They're super, super, super sharp. Uh, the eagle claws are obviously way cheaper, but, you know, they rust out, you know. So you use that rig all day long um, until you get all the toothy fish moving in the surf. You know, man, you can use the same surf rig for months sometimes. Um, and, and so, you know, without with having a hook that doesn't rust, this goes so far with that. So that's why I really like those hooks. I mean, it was like 12 bucks for a 24-pack, but it was worth every bit of it because – they would really last. I mean, I could, I could tie, you know, I'll go ahead and tie all my rigs, put it in a rig binder and, and be done with it for the year. And, uh, you know, just tie various colors and floats, but, and back to that single drop and I'll, I'll kind of leave it. But I, the reason I prefer the single drop is because I feel like you get a further cast with that because you have less drag, you know, with that extra drop, that extra hook, that extra bait, extra float, you know, it's kind of killing that cast a little bit. So if you're trying to really get a far cast, then that single drop to me casts a lot further versus like a you know fish finder or carolina rig where the weight is above the bait it's wanting to twirl around and such it's not as aerodynamic as a dropper rig is um and also too like if you're looking at fishing up close even for whiting i'd use a single drop over a, a double drop because nine times out of ten you're going to catch one fish at a time occasionally you'll catch doubles um, but I don't want to waste as much time or as much bait. You know, the only time I really fish doubles if I'm doing like bait on one or, you know, a sampling on one, shrimp on the other, trying to figure out what's doing better. Um, sometimes, you know, a bottom hook is going to do better than a top hook. You can do the same bait on each, but, you know, if you catch 10 fish, nine of them are on the bottom hook. So that's telling you that they're focusing more on the bottom versus, you know, a little higher off the bottom. And also, too, you know, like I said, you can eliminate your bait process, whether it be colors. You know, you can use a, uh, man, I, I would go through so many different variations of rigs and colors and baits and, and write it all down in a book. And I actually threw the book away. I probably should have kept it. I just thought I wouldn't need it anymore. But, you know, I would do four rods, same trough. I would do, you know, pink on top, tractors on bottom, shrimp, you know, shrimp on all hooks. And I would do this color on bottom and, you know, vice versa. And, you know, kind of take a general consensus and it's you know it, it varies so much that to the point where i just stopped caring about it because you never know it change every day you know one day the purple float will do good and then the next day it's a pink one and it don't matter if it's top or bottom some days it don't matter what color it is as long as it's closer to the bottom some days it don't matter what color it is as long as it's higher off the bottom 
So, you know, I would use the double drops to kind of key in what information I wanted and try to figure out, you know, all right, what are they, they want to be higher up or lower down. But once you kind of got on a hot bike and it was going, then I would use those singles because you're not, you know, you're not wasting as much bait. Um, if you do hook two big fish, you know, a lot of times those fish would want to pull against each other and, and break off. Um, and then other times too, like if you're in the presence of, you know, heavy catfish and ladyfish and stuff like that, you're, you're burning up twice as much bait and, you know, you're wasting a lot more tackle when you're having to go through two hooks and such. So it's kind of a, uh, a hundred reasons why you should or shouldn't use it. But, um, that's just kind of what I concluded to is the, the single drop was always my favorite. There's really nothing even to debate on it. it everything you nailed was a great point right there. So we, We've got that one crushed. Let's knock out a quick bait check. And then uh, actually that's going to matter because we're going to run into the next important question about that here in just a moment. This is your second bait check of the episode. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. Head on over to dscustomtackle.com and take a look at all the cool things that they've got going. The new flea bag, a glow-in-the-dark, sand flea covered float real cool the fruit basket same thing lots of great colors and different pieces on there maybe you need some rigs for other types of fishing or you need to get a i don't know squid teaser maybe you need another piece that other little beads they got them so go check out dscustomtackle.com get your order in so with you talking about bait and a perfect meeting there of bait time uh what type of bait do you like to use man that would vary a lot you know i know the guys like East in, you know, Pensacola to Navarre and such really rely hardcore on sand fleas. Um, I would, man, I mean, hands down say that a sand flea is a great bait, but there's plenty of times where a fresh frozen piece of shrimp would do more than a, you know, do a great job. Um, and then there's other times where I would use nothing but fish bites and not because I wouldn't bring other bait, but it's like there's no reason to even waste bait when they're eating fish bites so well. And then there's other times where, you know, I feel like the fish are super pressured or it's early in the run, uh, water temp's cooler, whatever it may be, and a ghost shrimp is is ideal. I wouldn't say that I use any bait more than another. Um, I feel like the only, you know, constant thing, or actually I can tell you this, the two constants I always had, we're going to be, you know, fresh frozen shrimp, not nasty stuff, but, you know, something fresh. If you go to your local tackle stores and try to get some, what they call fresh dead for, like, if they sell live shrimp, they're going to have dead that die off, you know, or shrimp that die off naturally um, from, you know, being drugged in the net and all that stuff. Um, they'll put them in a cup and sell them usually. And, and even, like, you know, if they get some that are frozen, if they're frozen and they're fresh, that's fine. As long as they have natural color to them and they're brown and, you know, shrimp colors and not, you know, bright pink and, and black, um, and, and they're fresh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it works absolutely fine. Um, from beyond that, like I said, sand fleas work great. I can tell you so many times, just like everything else, where I've had four baits out there from ghost shrimp, sand flea, and, and, you know, fresh shrimp and fish bites, and the fish bites will outfish all of them, and I've then there's days where if you're not throwing a ghost shrimp out there, you're not going to catch a fish. I think to answer that question, you know, the most accurately would just be, you know, be willing to have a variety. Unless you're just catching fish and you're on them and you're, you know, have no issues with what you're doing, uh, you really need to be just kind of prepared to, to 
have a little bit of everything, you know, have a few different flavors of fish bites and colors, and, and then also, you know, have a sampley rake with you. Um, unless it's a really cool month, I wouldn't worry about bringing the sampley rake because they're not as prevalent. Uh, they are not on the Alabama coast anyways. Um, but like spring and summer, I would definitely bring a sampley rake because you can avoid a lot of trash fish bites by using sampleys versus using shrimp. But that's also where fish bites are coming into play. You know, you can, it's something tough. You know, if you see little pinfish and stuff messing with your bait, you know, you know you still have a bait there versus if you're using shrimp or a sampley. You know, that bait's probably gone after it's sitting there getting screwed with for 10 minutes. So um, I say there's really no perfect answer for that. Uh, I think to me it's, you know, be willing to have a variety. You know, obviously you can't do everything, but if you if you surface often, you know, a, a good bit, it's worth having a ghost shrimp pump. It's worth having a, and by ghost shrimp, I honestly like the cooler months, I would say, November to April on your ghost shrimp. Um, and that's just because they're softer bait. That water temp gets warmer, they're harder to keep on the hook, and then you got more trash fish prevalent there, it's going to rip them to shred. Um, that's when you get those warmer months, that's where sampleys really take that play as far as natural bait. But I feel like your fresh shrimp and your fish bites are kind of the go to for a year round. You know, they're hardy baits, they're easy to get a hold of, you don't have to go catch them, and they're going to catch fish. Definitely, 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 definitely. Moving into the next one, what do you do when the f- uh, when you go fishing in a brand new place. Now, the reason I ask this is you are well known throughout the panhandle. You've you've always you've fished Florida, Alabama, you, you you've got this whole area covered and you've been doing it for a long time. So when I ask this one, uh, this one's definitely gonna be aimed at that, hey, all right, I'm coming down from Tennessee to go surf fishing, you know, you're you're going somewhere new. What what's your game plan there? Man, the, uh, like I said earlier, you know, all stretches of beach have fish. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, p- looking at your structure and, and looking at any irregularities and saying, like, okay, that looks, you know, there's a cut in that sandbar right there. There's a deep hole right there. Um, I don't see any people swimming in that hole over there because it's a few hundred yards away from behind my condo or this beach access, whatever it may be. So look for irregularities and, and also keep your tackle simple. You know, don't do anything super crazy unless you're super confident in this fish in that area, you know, go as light as leader as possible, smallest hooks as possible, you know, keep your bait fresh and, um, and really just, you know, spread your baits out from as far as you can cast, uh, as close as you can cast. And, and, you know, if you got three or four rods and you can do that, you know, you'll narrow down. If you're not catching fish, well then, you know, and honestly, if, if depending on the time of year, if it's, if it's in time where let's say April where the bite should be great, and you're not catching fish, um, you know, you either need to move spots or you need to change something dramatically with your with your tackle. Um, if you have, you know, you get to a point where, hey, I've watched all these videos, I've listened to these podcasts, I know the rig I have is fine. The hooks aren't too big, the line's not too heavy, I got fresh bait, <clears throat> you know, I'm not catching fish, what do I need to do? And it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong, you could just be not in the best spot, you know, and it could look great, but that don't mean the fish are there. So, you know, be willing to move, be mobile. Um, you know, you can, there's two ways I would do it. Um, overall, like, especially younger, I would either bring a, you know, a few buddies and a few beach carts and some coolers and we can, you know, put, you know, set up shop for a day and, and spend some up to sundown out there and you'd have rolls, you know, where you want to catch fish for an hour and you, you know, catch three or four pompano in, in 20 minutes all of a sudden because they come through in schools and 
um, you know, be willing to move and, and, and find those different areas. And, you know, like, hey, man, I ain't going to fish out here in three days. I need to go somewhere else because I know people are catching them right now. Um, if you're going from area to area and you're not catching fish, then, you know, there's something you need to change, whether it's, you know, either finding natural bait, catching it, or buying a different bait, or trying different rigs. Um, you know, look at where you're casting, but really just just keep things keep things honest and, and keep things where you you know where you can change them. You know, don't don't throw your bait the same distance on all four rods or all three rods or all two rods every single cast. Um, don't use the same bait and, and rig all day every day in the same spot if you're not seeing results if you're seeing results then don't change anything uh, but if, if you're not seeing those results then you got to change stuff until you figure out what's best for you because man none, none of that stuff is constant um, most of those fish on the beach are, are moving uh, they're coming to that where you're at for a reason to eat but if if you know for some reason that may not be the best spot so you gotta be willing to go on to the next and try to find a fish so good call Definitely. And you nailed the big one too. You already nailed the other two questions. So we can move into the next, uh, next section here in just a second. Um, but the, the, the big one I think is, is the moving. A lot of people, you know, they grow roots as soon as they come down here and I get it. You know, you've already hauled all the gear out. You're tired. You just want to enjoy the day. Absolutely. Go for it. Have a blast. But yeah, if you're out there trying to get that big fish or trying to get dinner on the table, if it's not happening, just move do something, change it, bait, tackle. You I mean, you nailed it all. There's got to be a change there because the fish are there. Yeah, it's, and, you just have to find the change you need to make. Yeah. And some people, you know, and some people don't want to move, you know, they want to, that's their relaxation time. They want to go out there, and put their chair out, put a few rods out. If they catch a fish, fantastic. If they don't, they don't care. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're enjoying yeah, your time exactly. outdoors. You're enjoying your time on the beach. Um, but man, if you're like dead set on like, Hey, I want to catch these fish. Like I got, you know, I've had so many people message me over the years, and I mean, honestly, hundreds, and, like, I'll have people that are, are buddies or, or family members come down to the beach, and they're like, hey, you know, what day do I need to go fishing? I'm like, I mean, all of them, and then they'll be like, well, where do I need to go? I'm like, well, where, you know, where are you staying? I'm like, we'll just go behind your condo, and then, you know, they want a thousand, thousand answers. I'm like, dude, you got to go fishing, man. You know, like, I, you know, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need to look for this, but... You know, if you got a, a three-day window and you want to fish the whole time and you can, you need to be fishing, not asking when, where and when you should go all the time. And obviously that every bit of information helps, but, you know, just getting out there and doing it is, is really is what's going to give you the results. You know, you look yeah. at the people over the years that always catch these fish and, you know, like I was saying earlier, our buddy Chris, um, and I, I learned so much from Chris and, you know, guys, what man, Chris catches so many fish and all that stuff. I'm like, well, he does, and he he knows what he's doing. But the reason he knows what he's doing is because he'd go fish before work, and then go work sands all day, and then go fish all night, and go sleep for a few hours, and then go fish before work, and you know, fish sun up to sundown the day he's off, and you know, that ridiculous amount of time on the water. And I know not everybody can do that with family and and kids and and dogs and jobs and such. But you know, if you got a, a few minutes, and you know you got the time and that's what you want to do. You got to put in the time and instead of asking other people where you should be going, what you should be doing, you know, just go sit out there on the beach. You know, you'd be amazed, man. I can't tell many times where I had the lowest expectations ever. And I walked out there and just threw a rod out, just bring two rods in my cooler and, you know, 
throw two rods out and just absolutely have a, a, a stellar day. And you're like, well, I wasn't expecting that. But it's just because, you know, wasn't planning on it, wasn't looking at the tide, wasn't looking at anything, just went fishing and, you know, you catch fish. So that's just what you got to do. Yeah, man. Ah, those are the good days, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you crushed all the fishing tips, so that was good stuff right there. So we'll move right into this last section here. And, uh, yeah, it's this is the educational fun part. It is your third bait, third bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish. Like seriously, there's been, if you're listening to this at the beach, hopefully you've changed something if you haven't caught fish. I mean, Dusty gave it to you. He gave you the combo. Change the bait, change the rental, change it all. Change spots, do something different. But hopefully you've got a bunch and you're going to be heading home soon and life will be good. This bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at everything that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy garage. The mortician rig, he's got it. Maybe you need the, oh, I don't know, the Bruno rig because we don't talk about Bruno. Good rig. And, of course, sinkers. He's got it in his name. He's The Sinker Guy. Get your order in there and you're going to be all good. Lots of other great things for terminal tackle and tools on the website. So again, thesinkerguy.com. Get your order in quick shipping and awesome customer service. So you, how I finally got to meet you face-to-face, was a seminar. And mm-hmm. I, you told me there, like, yeah, I've done these a couple times. And a lot of people are like, dude, Dust, Dusty's always got really good stuff at these. And, and you did. Absolutely. Lots of good stuff I learned. What got you into doing seminars? I uh, I worked at Top Gun Tackle um, in high school. I started at Mo Fishing, and they merged with Top Gun Tackle, and man, it just it went on and on and on, changing ownership and such. So that's a whole other story. But you know, in the winter time, we had had you know snowbirds, and obviously, you know, the winter time's a slow time. And you know, ten plus years ago, you know, before our area Gulf Shores Orange Beach got super super busy like it is now. I mean, you would sit there in a tackle store all day long and twiddle your thumbs and you'd have an old guy from Wisconsin come in and he'd want to buy two fiddler crabs because, you know, he didn't want a whole dozen. He just wanted enough to go fishing for 10 minutes. And so we were trying to drum up some ways to really, you know, draw people in there. And uh, so we started doing various seminars, inshore and surf fishing and all that stuff. And then you know, I kind of realized, and it's kind of crazy, so that's kind of how the whole fish bites came up, you know, thing came about in our area, and I'm not going to say I had, by no means I, I was the reason, but there was a few packs of fish bites that were in there, uh, and they were in a clear plastic Ziploc bag with a sticker that said fish bites, and it was like a red fish logo, and it said fish bites across it, and these guys would come in and ask what it was, and my boss at the time was like, man, get that crap out of here. I'm tired of looking at it. Nobody's ever going to buy it. Just give it away to these, you know, some of these snowbirds. So I did. Well, they come back in asking for more. And I told my boss, I was like, hey, we uh, we sold that fish bites. Uh, you know, or I, said, I gave that fish bites away. And these guys want more. And he said, well, we're not ordering more. Well, then, you know, those guys were begging. And I had a couple more guys come in. And say, hey, you know, look, I heard someone's been down to the beach just using so-called fish bites, catching fish. And... Finally, I talked him into letting me order like six bags from our distributor. I sold those six bags that week. And nobody else, I mean, Walmart, none of the other type of stores around town carried them. We were the only people that had them. Like, I mean, as far as I know, in our area, period. I don't know about like, 
you know, Pensacola and East, but as far as Alabama coast, nobody over there had him. And, uh, and so, you know, it kind of, you know, more and more people, you know, a lot of the snowbirds surfished and sheepshead fish. I mean, that's really what they did. You know, over the years, more guys bring their boats down and such. But, you know, we had a lot of guys that come down and they would want to, you know, learn more about surf fishing. And I guided surf fishing, you know, even in, in high school, uh, I would walk across the street before I could drive and have my beach cart out behind the shop and take people surf fishing after work at five o'clock, you know, during starting the spring break time of year. And so to drum up some more business in the store, I told my boss, I was like, man, let's have a seminar, you know, and just, you know, we'll get a couple packs of coats next door at Winn-Dixie. I was back when Rouse's in Orange Beach was Winn-Dixie. I said, we'll get a couple packs of coats and some cookies and, you know, put some chairs up here. We rented some chairs uh, from actually one of the ladies that worked there, Miss Jeannie. She, her brother had a bunch of chairs. And, uh, you know, I'd get I got Chris Fetche, I got, you know, Bill Willis, a, a few different people here and there to do inshore guides and stuff and uh, or inshore seminars. And I would do some of the surf stuff. And at that age, I thought I knew everything. And, and I, I really didn't. I didn't know half of what I knew. I didn't know a quarter of what I knew now. But I knew enough to where, you know, I felt confident in what I was telling these guys uh, was enough. Because a lot of these guys from up north, you know, if you take a trip up to the Midwest, these guys are outdoorsmen. You know, they're not southern, but they're rednecks, you know, in their own way. And they, they fish and they hunt all year long. And so, you know, they have different tech, tactics and techniques, but they're fishermen. And so they're willing to learn. And, you know, some of those guys are older and a little more ornery and, you know, a little more hard-headed. So it's harder to, to kind of teach some of those guys things. But if they saw other people catching fish, they want to figure out what that guy was doing. So by fishing on the beach and, and running these trips and, you know, fishing next to a lot of these guys, I can't tell you, man, I, those guys I still talk to this day that I met 10, over 10 years ago, um, you know, that were fishing next to me on the beach and, you know, never went on and got a trip with me. Didn't buy a lot of tackle from me, but they just, you know, they walk up and talk and see what I was doing, and then they would mirror that. And, you know, not that what I was doing was better, but what they were doing just wasn't necessarily ideal. And so, you know, guys started getting more into the surf rigs and more into the surf rods. And we went from selling a few surf rods to, to a bunch of surf rods and having these little seminars at Top Gun and stuff. We'd have a couple of winter. You know, we do like a Christmas one and, a, you know, a February one before the spring really kicked off. And then we started doing some series up the floor of Bama. And then, you know, it kind of went crazy from there. And we did various ones. And the biggest one I was a part of was with uh, Chris Vecce and Matt Isabel was there. That was right when he was getting started with everything. And then David Thornton was there. Uh, or I'm sorry, David Thornton. Um, and David's like, you know, they call the Pure Pounder. Very knowledgeable guy about, you know, just weather and tides and fish and stuff like that. And man, we had we had did a sign up for that and ended up with I think there was like almost three hundred people there. Uh, you know, it's a free event and we had rented the community center out for this, put up like a hundred chairs, and they were filled an hour before the show even started, and there were people standing outside, nowhere to park, and we were just like holy crowd. Wow. Like we weren't you know, we were expecting fifty or sixty people, we weren't expecting, you know, and I don't remember the count. We've got a head count, we had a few people counting for us and it was it was over 200 people. I mean, it was astronomical. Um, and, and so, you know, just doing stuff like that, just, you know, kind of picked up. But I enjoyed doing it. You know, being in tackle sales, you've got to put yourself out there to, you know, have your face out there and, and sell stuff. But 
you know, I said just just talking with people and helping people. I mean, there's guys that are willing to to learn and, and like, hey, what do I need to do to do this? You know, do I need to go on a guide trip? Do I need to buy this? And sometimes it's not even that. It's just like, hey, just change this right here and you're good to go. So, you know, different avenues, different venues came available to do that stuff. And, um, you know, I did it and I jumped on it. And, you know, the tackle shows I worked at always supported us and helped us in, uh, you know, doing those things and, and helping people out and getting people on fish. And, you know, that's like the pomp stomp came about. And the whole surf fishing craze came about, and you know, it just grew over the years. I mean, uh, man, I just remember being in high school and surf fishing, and like you'd be the only person out there, you know. And now it doesn't matter what beach you go to, there's somebody doing it. And whether they started from, you know, a few years back to watching some of these YouTube guys, that's what got them into it. You know, it's just so big now um, because of all that stuff. And so it's it's cool to see for sure. Uh, like I said, all these people learn from different people and. You know, there's no, uh, I guess that's my favorite thing about surf fishing is there's no one or only way to do it. You know, like the stuff that Blake Hunter does and, and Destin and such is completely different than what I would do in Orange Beach Gulf Shores. Um, but Blake's a great surf fisherman, you know what I mean? So it's just learning stuff from different guys uh, along the years and just helping people catch fish. I mean, that's what got me into teaching these seminars and, and all that, you know, it's, and when you're younger, you think like, man, I know all kinds of stuff. And you know, as you get older, you realize that you really didn't. Uh, <laughs> if I could go around and, and reteach all the ones I did when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, I would probably slap myself in the face for some of the stuff I said. But, um, you know, this is part of growing up and you kind of humble yourself a little more. But, you know, still good information, but not half of what I knew now. So Yeah. You know, I shouldn't have sent you the questions before the the podcast because you, you you're like nailing them all throughout when you're talking. It's like, yep, you got that one. No, nope, you got that one. I don't need to ask that. Yeah, you got that one. <laughs> almost almost like regret sending. I love to talk. Oh, dude, it's all good. I'm I'm very thankful for it, and I, as you can see, I haven't stopped you, and I have no intention of it because you're you're flowing with great information and knowledge. You know, and it's. I get some people that are like, oh, well, hold on, I can't digest it. You know, that that's one of the things I love about these podcasts because you can be like, hold up, what was that? You can back it up. You know, you can start that mm -hmm. section back over and get that knowledge and, and get yourself set up for, oh, okay, I understood that. But, you know, when like when you're at a seminar and you're you're pounding through things so much, you know, you've only got so much time and, and so much you can do. And, you know, like you said, with that event, you, you planned on 100 and you got 300. Well, that became 300 questions. So it's, it, oh, yeah. there's a lot of pieces there. But, yeah, you nailed the entire thing on seminars. <laughs> so, yeah. well, well played, sir. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll just go right into the, we'll go right into the final uh, questions here. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I'm, I want to back it up is you were talking about fly fishing in the surf. And that's something that mm -hmm. you're, going to be pushing heavier on and going that route uh what what made you want to start doing that you know i uh i started fly fishing you know in high school and i, I say started fly fishing i really just dabbled in it you know i bought a fly rod from bass pro and kind of played around with it and you know it was just something different you know like i i surfished i, I deck in it offshore and you know inshore fish and wade fish and kayak fish and did all this different stuff and you know it's just something something different and uh i quickly got frustrated with it 
And I was like, screw this. I don't know who would want to torture themselves like this. And I can't think of the amount of people that would come into the store and ask about fly fishing around. You know, like, hey, is anybody fly fishing around here? I'm like, uh, I don't know if they're smart. You know, I mean, <laughs> why would they waste their time doing that? And, you know, just one of those things you say when you're a, you know, punk teenager. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, years go on and uh, I'm, here I am guiding full time. And me and another buddy of mine that guided, uh, we decided to take a trip to the mountains. Um, him and his buddy and his dad were going to North Carolina, uh, trout fishing for a couple weeks. And you know, we're at this September, just wrapped up the busy season, you know, pockets full of money from guiding, um, all the inshore trips and stuff. And it's hot as Hades, you know, at the beginning of summer, or oh, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, at the beginning of September. And you're like, man, I just anything to get out of this heat and do something different. So, I go trout fishing with them in the mountains, and you know we were all fly fishing. And uh, man, I, I was just like, man, this is awesome. And then from there, it started a craze. I'm like, I want to start fly fishing more. So then we get back and we're dock light fishing, and you know we're on a light just loaded with redfish, and they'll eat any fly that comes through there. But I couldn't cast my fly line 60 feet far enough to get it into the dock light. My buddy Taylor is sitting there hooked up every cast with his, you know goofy grin he's always got and i just got so frustrated i'm like man i gotta figure this out you know and then it just created a monster and you know here i am a few you know years later with you know i'm looking at a dozen fly rods in my office and um you know doing it for so many different things and it really adds another it adds another you know level of I don't want to say technique to it. I mean, you gotta you gotta want it. You gotta love it to to put up with fly fishing. There's definitely a time and place for it. There's guys that are purists that only want to catch something on a fly rod, and I, I love catching stuff on the fly rod. But there's a time and place for it. If the wind's blowing and all that stuff, I'm not gonna deal with it. You know, it's like I want to catch a fish. Um, but then there's other times where you know you can compare it to bow hunting, where if you want to catch this fish on your fly rod. If you don't take your fly rod, it's not going to happen. If you don't only fish that fly rod, it's not going to happen. Um, this past Saturday, I mean, three days ago, I was on the flats all day long, and I blew various great shots on redfish. And I could have caught that fish with a spinning rod, but because I was using a fly rod, you know, I blew it for various reasons where threw the fly right on top of their head or, you know, we were drifting too fast, whatever it may be. And so it adds the next level of – you know kind of difficulty to it and like i said back to bow hunting if if you want to kill a deer with a with a bow and you take your rifle every time you're not going to shoot that deer with your bow uh same thing with a fly rod to me and so it just added a different level of, of kind of you know difficultness to it and and you know uh just a whole other love for it you know to, and then you get into fly time and that's really what kind of pushes you over the edge on on falling in love with it because you take something that, that you tied, and especially if you use something that has, you know, a deer a deer hair that you from a deer you harvested and a duck you harvested and a squirrel you harvested harvested and you make something out of it, you know, you kill it and you harvest that stuff and you know, you use every bit of that animal, put it on a hook and then you're, you know, catching redfish and trout and largemouth bass on it. You know, it really, it, it kind of completes the full circle for you, and uh, you learn to appreciate things a little more. So that's kind of where I'm at in my fishing journey right now is, you know, I, I love to catch fish. I, I keep a spinning rod in my truck or wherever I go, but I also got a fly rod too, and um, it's kind of pushed things to the next level. And, 
I, when I was there, I didn't utilize the time I had on the beach fly fishing. I've caught plenty of fish off the beach uh, on a fly rod, but I didn't spend as much time as I, I should have on the beach with a fly rod, or could have, I should put it that way. And uh, so that's really my next goal as I, you know, go back to the coast on my weekend trips and such is uh, spending time walking the beach with my fly set up and, and trying to catch fish, you know. And the thing is, is, you know, throwing a jig and uh, twitch bait all the time, you're like, man, I want to catch trout or I want to catch pompano. Uh, and that's great. But when you're fly fishing, you know, I mean, honestly, any bite uh, other than a, a hard-head catfish is appreciated. Um, you know, if it's a ladyfish, it's like, man, this is a blast, you know. So it kind of lets you step back and really appreciate every bite you get. I and mean, if you get a, a day where you're walking the beach and throwing a fly rod and catching ladyfish and bluefish and, and occasional pompano and occasional whiting and jacks and such, I mean, every other cast, I mean, man, it's, that's an absolute blast. So, you know, you kind of step back and really appreciate stuff. And uh, it, it's super fun. And there's some things with the surf that, you know, just being honest with you, Fish, fly fishing like in mountain streams to lakes to rivers to you know on the flats i would say surf fishing i won't say it's the hardest but it can be probably the most frustrating because there's a few little uh big pieces of gear you have to have that really make you successful off the beach and and without those uh i don't want to say you're wasting your time but it makes it very difficult and and to me one being a stripping basket um, if you have a stripping basket to strip your fly line into your into your waistline it uh, keeps it from getting wrapped up around your feet getting washed around with a surf line um and it's just so much of a so much more of a pleasant experience and then second behind that would be intermediate fly line so a full intermediate fly line you know you have a floating line that completely stays on the top then you have a what they call intermediate, which is kind of like a neutral buoyant. You know, it doesn't float, but it doesn't necessarily sink. It just kind of does what it does. And you have sinking lines that, you know, have uh, a weighted tip on them and such, and they actually sink at a rate. If you do that mid-range to intermediate, it allows you to kind of fish that line straight through the surf without getting on top of the waves and getting bounced around. Um, you get a lot more control over your fly line. And so to me, those two things right there are something that would, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I walked the beach with a fly rod, you know, when I was younger and be like, man, this is the stupidest thing anybody could ever do, ever. And then once you kind of figure out those few little things that, you know, help you and, and those few little gear things, I mean, it's, it's crazy the difference it makes and the success you can have. Dude, you blew my mind. Uh, I've only started getting some information on fly fishing in the surf, and that's mostly because of Larry Grossman. Uh, in our area, he's really crushing it, doing great things. He's a lifelong fly fisherman and just, just a lot of great knowledge and doing fun stuff over here. But yeah, mid-range, a weighted line, wow. That's a lot to process. So you've got a whole, you got a whole adventure with that in itself. And thank you for giving us just a a view of what kind of game you got to play to get into that, man. Seriously, really, thank you for that. Really good piece of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, man, if you, you know, in my opinion, like it's, if you're in the Panhandle area, uh, two people, you know, some really good fly tires for, you know, fly fishing flies uh as far as surf fishing use um like nick lejos is over in the dustin area i think that's how you say his last name and he's got you know some famous sampling patterns but also uh, as far as experience goes 
You know, Chris Fetchay's been doing it for a long time. Tons of trout and redfish and pompano off the beach, as well as Sam Sumlin. Uh, and Sam is, a, you know, a designer and such, a photographer, videographer, super talented, but also uh, owns Space Coast Flies, and I think he's part owner. Um, but man, they sell all kinds of great flies for just inshore stuff, but also surf fishing stuff. You know, a lot of pompano flies and beach trout flies, something worth looking into. Um, and Sam spends probably, I, I would safe to say, probably more time on the beach than, than really anybody I know as far as just throwing a fly rod. Um, I mean, if he goes fishing, he's throwing a fly rod. And he, that dude walks the beach just about every day in the season and catches a lot of fish. Um, he's actually coming up to, Montgomery, I just started a fly fishing club in this area, and he's coming up next month to do our our next meeting on, you know, fly fishing the surf and tying, you know, pompano flies and all that stuff, and we're super excited about that. So he's a wealth of knowledge, and if you are a fly fisherman and, you know, wanting to get into doing some stuff on the surf, he's definitely somebody to reach out to to get some flies, man. They got some killer prices and, and super fast shipping and stuff, so kind of a shameless plug for Sam, but man, they do, they do some killer work over there. Please do plug. I mean, that's the great thing about this podcast. Plug any business you can, when you can, because I mean, all we can do is learn from each other, learn from these other ones that have made the products and help each other out. So yeah, no, no bad is on the plug. That was good. Well, let's get you into the last two questions and get you out of here. The last, uh, the first of the one is going to be, what knowledge would you give to a brand new, hey, I want to start, I want to start surf fishing. What kind of knowledge would you give to him? If it's something that you plan on doing, you know, for years and long term, which, you know, somebody that fishes and, you know, if you just, if you're not a fisherman and you're just getting to be a fisherman period, you know, obviously it's hard to spend the money on just anything, especially if it's just a potential hobby. Um, and, and from that next step, it's, you know, if you're a fisherman and you already fish a lot and, you know, you have various, you know, angles of your tackle, you know, obviously you can figure out what you already own to try to use in the surf fishing world. Um, but what I'm getting at is, is really don't cheat yourself on buying junk for surf fishing simply because, you know, you don't know if you're going to like it. Um, it's something, you know, if you go on vacation, say you go on vacation, you know, there's people that go to the beach on vacation five, six times a year. And, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you go for three or four days, five, six times a year, you know, you're looking at 20 something trips to the beach. And if you want it to last more than a few years, you really want to buy something that's somewhat quality. So if you go buy a $40 combo from Walmart or from wherever, you know, it, you may get a year out of it if you're lucky, if you really take good care of it. So I would say to me, um, there's such a, there's so much information out now from podcasts to YouTube videos, to all that stuff that, you know, you can really spend a day researching and be like, all right, I think I got this. But when you really start getting into it, the biggest thing that matters is is your tackle. Um, and not that any one thing is better than another. There's no, it's kind of like the Ford and Chevy thing. There's no rod and reel um, that's, I mean, like I have plenty of favorite surf rods, but there's a hundred other that would probably do the job. You know, it, you, you get really technique specific with things, um, you know, like whether it's a ninja rod or a star rod or, uh, whatever it may be. I mean, there's, there's a thousand things that'll do the job, but you don't want to cheat yourself and buy the cheapest thing possible just to kind of dabble in it. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, yeah, you know, it's hard to put a lot of money in something you may not know what you're doing. 
but when you have something that's a little nicer, the experience goes a long way because by having that nice tackle, you know, you ease your experience on, you know, hey, this thing's not a piece of junk. It didn't fail on me, you know, after my third trip out. Um, you know, it, it casts so much better, it casts so much further. The real drag is great. This line, this braided line that I spent this money that I think is ridiculous on, casts so much better. I got so much more line on here, and I landed that big fish because I had it. You know, not everybody has all the money in the world to spend on tackle, and I get that. I mean, we, we've all been there. Um, but, you know, try to get the best bang for your buck. Go to a local tackle store. Really talk to the guys that do it and know what they're talking about and, and talk to various guys and talk to various people on Facebook. I mean, there's so many Facebook pages now. And just be honest and say, hey, look, I'm looking at getting my first setup. You know, I want to spend this and much, you know, between this and this. What are my options? You know, and, and you're going to have probably 20 different people say 20 different things, you know, and, and not that one of them is better than another, but you've got to be willing to. To me, you know, like I said, buy what's best, the best bang for your buck and what's going to last you. And by doing so, you'll stay interested in it a lot longer. And I can tell you so many examples of it, you know, in the outdoor world from, like I said, bow hunting to time flies to you name it. If you buy cheap stuff and junk, you're going to be like, all right, I don't like doing this. And you're going to have a bad experience and you're going to give it up a lot quicker. If you have something that's a little nicer, you're going to put a little more time into it. and You're going to get a lot more time out of that gear by doing so. Uh, and I know that's really not something that's, you know, just straight fishing related as far as a technique, you know, hey, where do I go, what do I do? But to me, man, that goes for bass fishing to fishing for, uh, in a pond for bluegill to crappie fishing to, you know, fly fishing. If you don't have to spend $1,000 on a combo. But if you put a little money and get something that's halfway decent, you'll be so much more pleased with your experience because you're going to get more longevity out of it. And a better use out of your out of your gear. I think the worry people worry about too is like, oh, why do I gotta do I need to spend three hundred dollars? No, you don't. You, you, my first no. setup was uh, I think my very first setup was a eleven foot beach runner and a Shimano was on sale. I think I spent like for it was like it was a five thousand yeah it was a five thousand series. I think I maybe spent a hundred and five dollars with line and on the rod and reel setup, and I was out the door. It was like, it was perfect. Yeah. Everything was great. So you don't have to spend a ton, but learn the gear that you're using. And then like, yeah, if you're going to make this a longevity run, exactly what you said, you know, look at some of the longer lasting. So cool, cool stuff right there. Uh, and great to go. Let's nail the last one for you so we can get you home. What's next for you? Man, um, I think the biggest thing, you know, I, I can finally say, um, you know, after years of, living on the coast and, and doing various things from guiding and washing boats and deck cannon offshore and all that stuff. And, um, all the crazy things I've done, I, I finally have a, a job that's kind of a career that has a retirement, has insurance and, and all those things. And, uh, you know, I'm engaged and, and moved, you know, away from, away from, I guess you could say home, uh, a little further north to Montgomery, Alabama, um, in order to, you know, be closer to my fiance in, in, have a job and you know make some decent money and, and such and you know by doing so it's allowed me to you know i'm not doing the things i love for work anymore uh which sometimes i miss and there's plenty of times where i definitely don't uh when i go now i, I you know appreciate every minute of it because i don't get to do it as much i took that stuff for granted when i was going all day every day and now i go you know every few weekends so um 
I think just spending time traveling and fishing is what's biggest for me. And I've just started a, uh, a club in Montgomery, the Montgomery area fly fisher, or it's, it's actually called the Yellowhammer Fly Fishing Club as of last night was our final agreement on the name, but, you know, kind of have a social gathering because there's a lot of people up here that are into it. And uh, I've also started volunteer with a Mayfly project and they have a chapter in Auburn where we pretty much teach and take children in the foster system uh, fly fishing and it is a uh, super fun you know i volunteered because you know i like to just kind of do whatever i can to help on anything and i got a bit uh, you know a bit hesitant on it at one point and then i went to the first meeting and i was like oh man no i can't not miss any more of these because um you know the kid i had he was he just loved the outdoors loved to hunt and fish you know and these kids have rough lives and they just want somebody to be there and teaching this stuff so you know, I'm trying to do what I can to donate as much time as I can to whatever I can to help people, you know, help the fishery, you know, help conservation. Um, and that's something that, too, as I've gotten older, you know, I don't kill, I really don't kill any fish anymore versus when I was, you know, 18, 19. It was like, uh, if it swam, it was going to the cooler. And so, you know, that's something that I've tried to focus on and pushing on to other people and helping other people. It's, you know, letting people realize that, you know, there is a, you don't have to keep everything and, and, you know, trying to teach people to fish and just various things like that. I guess you could say focusing on the future uh, for other people and, and trying to change people's, you know, outlook on, on fisheries. Uh, and, and I'm very young. Um, I'm, I'm only 27 and I don't want to sound like an old timer. I know I said that earlier, but, you know, looking at how the fishery is different now uh from when it was 10 years ago and you know listening to the guys that taught me how to fish and they're talking about what it was 10 years from then and 30 years ago and 40 years ago and it's just not even close and you know and, and you can you know some people would argue that and say it's the same or better and some people would say man it's it's terrible um but I feel like a general consensus. I mean, I, I listen to so many podcasts uh, from fly fishing to freshwater fishing to saltwater to the Alabama Saltwater Fishing Report, you name it. And, you know, people butter up things. But when you listen to a lot of these these guys like Fishing Legends, you know, like I listen to the Millhouse podcast a lot with Andy Mill. And, you know, you get a lot of these guys like Flip Pilot and the guys that were in the Keys and stuff years ago. And you listen to, it's almost depressing sometimes because they talk about how great the fishing was 30, 40 years ago or 50 years ago and how it's just not even the same. And it's still good. Some people that didn't know it any better, but, um, you know, not to what it was. So kind of the same with me is, you know, I, I'm young. Um, I, I grew up fishing that area down at the coast and uh, it's changed dramatically. There's still plenty of good fishing to be had by no means. So I mean, you know, oh, it's terrible, it's ruined or anything like that. I mean, conservation exists for a reason, though, and, and you know, I, that's, I think that's my biggest focus is just trying to do what I can to be an advocate for the outdoors and the fishery and, you know, help people understand, especially with kids, you know, there's a reason why laws exist, there's a reason why limits exist, and, you know, these things change for a reason most of the time for the better. You know, people complain like, oh, they're you know, taking this away from us now, and it's really not the case. I mean, you look at what they did with Flounder in Alabama a couple of years ago. They closed it down for November, and they, you know, made the, the length limit a little longer. And, you know, last year, 
was the best, you know, flounder fall in the year before. Some of the best flounder years we've had in probably seven or eight years because of, you know, a, a one year change. So, you know, that's the stuff I look at constantly is, is, you know, what we as a whole can do as a, you know, an efficient society and efficient community uh, can get together and change and be, get everybody on the same page. Like, hey, you know, if we all did this and we all thought this way, man, they're so telling what the fishery could be, could be like. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people are on the same page. So I'd say that's what's on my agenda as far as the fishing world is doing what I can to teach people and, and you know, help whatever I can do and, and I mean, anything like that to just do my part to help the fishery. Good on you, man. Real good on you, and I know you're going to be successful at that. Well, Dusty, thank you so much. You, you've given a ton of knowledge tonight, and I appreciate all the time that you did. This is going to be a great episode. I'm very excited to be able to air this out. I know people are going to learn from it, and seriously, I, I hope for nothing but the best things for you, man, up north with the new club and everything you're doing. I look forward to seeing it on social and following you there. And just, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope this episode was helpful for you because it was a ton of knowledge, and I've got a uh, page full of notes. So lots of cool things in here. I hope you got something out of it, too. Uh, if this show helped you, by all means, you know, send us a message. Don't forget to share it out. Help somebody else learn how to fish. That's what we can do. We can only help each other get better at this, and that is one of the biggest missions of this podcast is I want you to have as much knowledge as you possibly can from the locals, from the people in that area, from the industry professionals, the people that are making the rigs, the gear, the things that are here. I want you to be able to hear about it this way without having to wonder. So I appreciate you coming on this journey. I appreciate your time and it's just awesome. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. I'm out of here. Part one done. Nice job, dude. Seriously. I, I, I mean, you know that already. Hell of a job.